this month, this fall, we've been talking about connect, developing connecting relationships. We started by talking about first connecting with God, making sure that we know how to have a personal daily relationship in which we walk with Him. That is primary, that is essential. This month we have talked about the need uh, after we have developed and we maintain our relationship with God, our Creator, that then we have connecting relationships with those within the body of Christ, our brothers and sisters in Christ in the church. And we've talked about a number of things of how do we make sure that we develop connecting relationships. And I've talked about three things so far, and I have one final one, and then we're going to move next week to our next aspect of this sermon series. We've talked about grace. That there has to be margin in our lives for people to make mistakes and for people to be different from us. Otherwise, we build walls uh, by having a judgmental spirit that becomes an obstacle to grace. We talked about truth. That we are to speak the truth in love and that every relationship, if it is to be anything substantial, has to have a foundation and truth is what that is the obstacle to truth is a relativism that says well anything goes you see we can take grace to such an extent that there is no foundation in life and then we are like the man that jesus referred to who built his house upon the sand when the storms came his house did not stand because it was founded on sand and not the rock truth becomes our rock and so there is, a, there is a common core of belief that is based upon the Bible that becomes the foundation for us within the body of Christ and even in our relationship with God that we found uh, our relationship on. Last Sunday we talked about a third aspect of that, commitment of time and energy. Uh, the obstacle to that is isolation, where we isolate ourselves from other people. But if we expect to develop connecting relationships, it is going to require time and energy. There is no substitute for that. I want to talk about this morning a fourth aspect of this, and quite honestly, it is an overarching theme that encompasses the first three but adds to it. And I want to describe it uh, as an openness uh, of life and heart. My contention this morning, for us to have connecting relationships, there has to be an openness that says, my life is open for me to give and to receive from you. For me to be vulnerable, to be hurt, um, there needs to be an openness that allows people into our life and allows my life into other people's life. 
And maybe at this point in the sermon, that's kind of all I can kind of frame it as. There, there needs to be an openness of life and heart that allows uh, the flow of life between us and our relationships. Hmm. There's actually a word in the New Testament that expresses this. Um, and it's rather interesting that when we try to define or specify this word, quite honestly, not only for us in the English language, but for the people in the first century, to d- define and to, to, def- to express what all is included in this, one word is, is it's, it's massive. And it's hard to pin down and there are so many components and aspects to it that when the biblical writers wrote about it, there's, there's so many thoughts that are included to try to express this one word that I believe expresses this sense of openness of heart and life. It is a word that is used consistently in the New Testament by the different authors. Um, let me start throwing out some of these words that are used to define or express this one word. Sometimes in the scripture it says that you can understand this word by the sense that there is, uh, there is a patience with people. Um, the biblical word that's used sometimes is long-suffering. So if you are long-suffering, this world, this word, it, long-suffering kind of it less, at least expresses some of what this word expresses. Um, I want to read this morning from William Barclay, who is a master of word study and when he comes to this word that describes the one word he says it is the word used of a man who is wronged and who has it easily in his power to avenge himself and who yet will not do it it's it's describing a patience with people a long suffering that's part of it you but you know that can also that can in some sense be a passive thing that I uh, suffer long I'm patient with someone but also the Bible would speak that part of this definition of this one word is that that a person that expresses this is kind which is which is not a passive sense which is an active sense maybe to the first word that not only do they uh, suffer long with someone but actually they are kind to that person another word that at least expresses some of this and it's kind of interesting because sometimes in the in the bible when uh they're defining this word it's they don't have a word that is the positive word but they have a negative word to say it is not this and so sometimes when you're defining something you have to say well here's a word that is expresses that but sometimes you say part of the definition no it is not that and so uh, there's a number of these that are kind of negative and to say it's not that. 
And one of those is to say that this word, that when someone lives this out, uh, they are not envious or jealous. Uh, it's kind of an interesting word when, when Barclay covers this. Um, he talks about uh, that when someone, the word that is used for envious, uh, that you're not supposed to do, it says, it talks about that envy and says, it grudges the very fact that others should have what it has not. It does not so much want things for itself as wish that others had not got them. It's that kind of envy. And it says you shouldn't have that. Another one that's a negative word is when you live this out, it says that you do not draw attention to yourself. You do not parade yourself. It also, another aspect of this, and these, there's just a whole series of words that we think of that uh, help us to define and to fill out the meaning when you live this out, it is, it is not inflating one's importance. It is expressed by not being puffed up or conceited. You could go on and say also part of the aspect of this is it does not behave rudely, but is courteous. Barclay uh, says, he makes this statement when he talks about that word. He says, there is a kind of Christianity that takes a delight in being blunt and almost brutal. And he says, this is not a part of that. It is not about behaving rudely, but it's about being courteous. The Bible would also say that it, it means part of it is that it's not seeking one's own or insisting on one's own rights. Barclay makes a comment. He says, only two kinds of people. There are only two kinds of people. Those who always insist upon their privileges and those who always remember their responsibilities. Those who are always thinking of what life owes them and those who never forget what they owe to life. And that's part of understanding this one word. Not, in, not seeking its own, not insisting on its own rights. Also a part of this word, one of the negative things, it, it's not easily provoked. It is not quick to take offense. Another one that's very, very interesting is that when you live out this word, part of the aspect of it, it's not remembering wrongs. It's not taking into account past wrongs. Barclay talks about that. And he said, this word for not making taking record of wrong it says it is the word used for entering up an item in a ledger it's an accountant's term it is the word used for entering up an item in a ledger so that it will not be forgotten that is precisely what so many people do i'm writing this down but if you live out this w word it is not keeping record of wrong it also, I guess the last negative uh, phrase or word that helps us understand the fullness of this meaning, it does not take pleasure in the misfortune of others. Barclay say, says, he talks about this, he says, the malicious pleasure which comes to most of us when we hear something derogatory about someone else. To live out this is to say, no, no, no. I take no pleasure in the misfortune of others. 
on the positive side, but just filling out the meaning of all that this word means. It takes joy in the truth. The scripture would also say that it bears any situation that comes along. Barclay says, it will never drag into the light of day the faults and mistakes of others. It can bear any insult, any injury, any disappointment. That's what it means that it bears any circumstance that comes along. We could go on a series of these to help us understand what it means. It believes the very best. It never stops hoping for the best. And it endures. It perseveres. It pushes through. This is my last quote from Barclay. When he talks about enduring. What it really describes is not the spirit which can passively bear things, but the spirit which in bearing them can conquer and transmute them. It speaks about not just I'm going to bear this, but I am going, and not just the sense of endure, but I'm going to overcome. I'm going to be victorious through this. And so this is a word that speaks of that victory. And finally, it says that this one thing never runs out. <laughs> it never fails. Hmm. That one word. If you're still sitting there wondering, what is that word? It is the word love. The problem this morning is when I say I want to speak to you about love today, you just kind of check out. <laughs> think, oh, I know what that is about. But I'm afraid we don't know what that is about. Because it is such a massive idea and thought when the biblical writers try to say, well, what is it? They go on and on and on to say, but you know what? It's, 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 yeah, it's yeah, yeah. And so that's when we come to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 4. And Paul says, love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself, is not puffed up, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. And then in verse 8, just the first part, love never fails. You know, those are verses we kind of read at weddings and when most of y'all come in for your marriage counseling, I said, let's look at 1 Corinthians 13 and just see if we're, we're, how we're doing there. But you know, actually, when we get to this point in the Scripture, 
the context of 1 Corinthians 13 is not primarily about marriage. Do you know the context of 1 Corinthians 13? It's about the church. Now, I'm not saying it doesn't apply to marriage in a secondhand sense. But if you think about it, if you kind of know your, the way what Paul is doing, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, he begins to talk about the church. This is 1 Corinthians. There were problems at the church of Corinth. They were messed up. We don't have time to even read some of the things that are going on. And he comes and he begins to talk about the body of Christ in 1 Corinthians 12. That we're different. There's different kind of gifts. But we're all members of the same body. All kinds of different members and different ways that we see life. And we may be ears and we may be a knee. We may be a big toe or a thumb or something. I don't know. We're all a part of one body. You know the reason Paul was saying that? It's because there were issues at the church of Corinth. Now, in chapter 14, he's going to talk about speaking in tongues and gifts of the Spirit and all of those things that are causing division within the body of Christ. And I'm telling you today, smack dab right in the middle of all of that. Chapter 13, he says to the church of Corinth, love is patient and is kind. It does not envy, it does not parade itself, it's not puffed up, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. It is the challenge to the church to say if you're going to be a part of a body, you've, you've got to live this out. But it is such a massive word that Paul can't just put one word to it and say, oh, this is how you define, this is what I'm talking about. In fact, the very word uh, in the original agape is such a massive word. In fact, it's, it's a word that is used consistently through the Scripture. And I almost want to say exclusively, anytime love is is attributed to God, I want to say this, I don't know this, I'm pretty sure, I'm about 99% sure, every time it is this word, agape, there's other words for love, but anytime you're talking about God's kind of love, do you understand? This is the way God loves us. In fact, you can fill in all those words uh, in talking about God's love for us, patient and kind. Go down the list. That's the way God relates to me. And then the scripture says, if that's the way God has loved you, then you love other people like that. But it's such a massive word that Paul finds it. He has to use 15 different words or phrases to try to fill out the meaning of this is the kind of love that God not only demonstrates to us, but he expects us to live out among one another. It is what I said from the very beginning. I think more than anything it expresses an openness of heart and life that is selfless 
giving, caring, and vulnerable. When God has poured His love into my life, He expects me to open my heart and my life to demonstrate that to others by saying it's not about me. It's about me giving to others and caring for others. But the reality is that makes me vulnerable. Open to be hurt, to be taken advantage of. And he specifically says that the context, his application for this kind of love is the church within the body of Christ in the midst of its differences and its conflicts. This is the way you are supposed to live out. In fact, Paul would say of everything else, it is the one thing that is essential for the church body. I know we didn't read it, it's not on the screen, but in those first three verses in 1 Corinthians 13, he starts, and you know this, many of you, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith, so that I could remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. We can do all that stuff that he talks about. We can give our lives away. But if we do not have love, he says it is nothing. It is the one thing that is essential. In fact, to so much, to such an extent that it is the greatest of all attributes. So at the end of chapter 13 and verse 13, he says, And now abide faith, hope, love, these three But the greatest of these is love. It is the openness of life and heart that allows me to give and to pour the life that God has poured into my life into one another. I remind you the words of Jesus that He said, A new commandment, this is John 13, 34, 35. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another. As I have loved you, so you love one another. And by this will all men know outside the four walls of the church that you are my disciples, that you have love one for another. The new command was that we would Love one another. The Old Testament said love your neighbor. Jesus said, no, I've got something new for you. I want you, you need to agape love within the body of Christ and then that will spill out. 
But if you want to go give your body or you give your life for the world and a great mission out there, but you don't have love, it's nothing. And you can have faith, you can have hope, but the greatest of all attributes is love. Let's talk about some, something very practical for the next few moments, and I close with this. The obstacle to love is insecurity. And I want us to think about this for just a few moments. The obstacle to love is insecurity. When I am insecure, then I close off my life and I enter into self-protection mode. Why? I think there's a very simple reason. From a human standpoint. That when I feel. Depleted. Of love in my life. Then I don't have the courage and the strength and the will. To pour love to others and so I. I, I enter into self-protection mode. And I close off my life. Maybe to keep people away. Because maybe I opened up my heart and somebody hurt me. You're thinking, well, I'm not going to let that happen again. I'm, I'm just closing off here. Um, hmm. I'm going to make a general statement here. You may be offended by it. I've said other offensive things from the pulpit, though. The people who have not been loved have a very difficult time then loving others. On the positive side, parents, grandparents, when people experience love, they possess a greater ability than to love. Uh, you know, I go back to some concepts I, I learned or thought about or expressed in the five love languages, and it talks about our love tank. Yes, yes. Some of you have been in for premarital counseling, and you've gotten the book, The Five Love Languages, and what a beautiful thing. Our love tank. And here's the thing. We all have a love tank inside of us. Amen. And when love is poured into our love tank, then we have resources then to pour it out to others. But when that love tank starts getting low, we kind of go into conservation mode. We go, wait a second, I don't know. I think it's going out a little bit faster than it's coming in. Maybe the person I'm married to is not loving me and filling my love tank as much as I think I'm filling their love tank. 
Hmm. And it's like, well, wait, I'm going to start backing off here. I'm going into self-protection mode because I don't know when this thing's going to get depleted. I'm, I'm running on empty. And actually, in kind of Daryl Smith counseling mode mindset, <laughs> marriages, this is the way I, I have, I'm kind of a visual guy. It's like, oh my, this couple's love tanks are both real low. <laughs> We're in trouble here. <laughs> Because, you know, it's fine when you're filling each other's love tank because then there's a lot of love and it's just spilling over and it's just ooey-gooey and all that good stuff, you know? But marriages begin to break down when we begin to make the evaluation. I think I've got more going out than I've got coming in and I'm not real happy with this because so-and-so is not loving me. They're not filling my love tank the way I want. And then you start backing off and they go, oh, okay, well, oh, that's the way you're going to be. Well, I think I'm going to back off. And then we just keep backing and backing and backing. And it becomes a downward death spiral. Guys like running a car without oil in it. Mm. Oh, you can do it, David Box, for I don't know how long. But eventually, some bad things are going to happen. And it becomes this feeding on itself of I'm not, they're not meeting my needs. Well, they're not meeting my needs. And then we're just thinking about our needs. And there's no flow of love into anybody's tank. And it becomes a downward death spiral. Hmm. 1 Corinthians 13 isn't talking about not talking about marriage we came today to talk about the church do you understand in a church the same thing can happen and you say wait a second where is our hope but see the church is great if we just loving each everybody and affirming and helping and encouraging and praying and strengthening and all of that we just man it just it's, it's an energy, a strength within the body and the network of relationships. It's great. And not that everybody in this room knows everybody else, but we all ought to have significant people in this room that are there for us when times are down. We become a safety net. And it's all bound together by love. But just like in a marriage, a, a church can start a downward spiral well so yeah so, yeah well no but i so I, no and it becomes negative energy that begins to take us down you know the one component that i haven't talked about that is the most significant here is that my primary source to fill my love tank is not the little lady sitting on the front pew I love my kids, and I wanted my kids to know that I love them. I love you too. Okay, I was waiting on that. Dads, your daughters need to know that you love them. Because when hormones hit, 
in middle school. I know some of y'all just like jerk. Oh, no, didn't even know. She's going to be a middle schooler. Oh, she's going to, yeah, she lives. She's going to enter middle school and puberty's going to hit. It ain't going to be pretty either. No, you're just hanging on to the wheel, just trying to survive. Staying out of the bar ditches is all you're trying to do. Keep it somewhere in the middle. Dads, those little girls need to know that they're loved, and you better be filling their love tank. Otherwise, when it gets low, they're going to look for somebody to fill their love tank. And even, even when your daughters get married, you still stay on them to let them know they love. Partly, you're just trying to shame your son-in-laws. Let's just be honest. <laughs> and you say things like, just remember who loved you first, baby. We have a Coke date on every Wednesday. You take her a Coke up to the high school. Y'all have seen me. No, you just going to keep that boy on his toes. You know who loved you first, baby. Come on. You think I'm joking. But anyhow. <laughs> I don't know about mama's loving sons. I don't know about all of that. But anyhow, that's a whole other issue. I don't have any life experience in, I'm sure. All I know is I want my boys to know that I love them too. I'm always in their corner. I'm always with them. But ultimately, you know what I have to teach my kids? And particularly, I'm going to say my daughters. Is there is a source of love. And my sons. Because your daddy's going to disappoint you. He's not always going to be there for you. He's not always going to be the man you need him to be. But there is a heavenly father who will always love you. And God is love. And you see in the church, if we all love each other, we're going to make it for a little while. But I think eventually our love tanks are going to get low. There has to be an outward source of love, and that is God and our relationships first with Him, that He pours his love into me, and then I have my love tank filled so that I can pour to others. You know what my wife needs? My wife needs me to love God with all my heart. The greatest place of security for my wife is not that I love her more than anything else. It's when I love God with all my heart because he's going to pour his love into my heart. And I'm, I'm going to have all I need. And let me tell you, God is a limitless source of love. His love never fails. And if we develop that relationship with him, then he will pour his love into us. And yes, it will spill over to our family and to our friends. But church, it has to pour in our midst to one another. God is our source, filling us up, spilling over to our relationships. Do you know why? Because there's people in the body of Christ and sometime you're going to be it and sometime I'm going to be that, that our love tank get low and I need somebody. Whether it's Sunday or whether it's Monday or whether it's Wednesday or whether it's Saturday to encourage me and strengthen me and love me and lift me up. That's what this is about. The one word that overarches all words and that is the, the key 
to developing connecting relationships is that love that is described in 1 Corinthians 13. And that kind of love comes from God and only from God. And so I conclude with this. In 1 John 4, John says, who describes himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. In this the love of God was manifested toward us that God has sent His only begotten Son into the world that we might live through Him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation or the sacrifice for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. In in the midst of our insecurity i want you to know that love overcomes insecurity in the midst of our insecurity of saying i I don't know i'm going to have to pull back i'm going to have to put up some walls i'm going to have to defend myself from hurt and vulnerability and open up and giving the answer for insecurity is love and it's primarily god's love but ultimately When we come here, one another, if God is love and God loved you, the command by Jesus and John and throughout all the writers is love one another. It creates a network, a strength, a safety net. When we get down and when we get low and it overcomes that insecurity, It says, I just need to be in self-protection mode and allows us to have openness of life and heart that allows the flow of God's love to flow out of us and allows the love of God and others to flow into us. It's an incredible thing. Amen. Amen. Why don't you stand with me this morning? Father, we thank you for your amazing love for us. And Father, as um, the pastor of this church, I pray for my people that day by day they would experience that love. And Father, I pray that it would flow between us and among us and would lift each one of us up. And so, Father, teach us to love as you have loved us. And we pray it all in the name of Jesus.